How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe I tell you, it just makes me smile every time, Mark. It just gets better and better and better. Virtual. Yeah. Fist bump, fist bump right there. Right there. Got the yep. oxytocin rolling. You like that. You like that intro. You like the uh, the the main event. I, I, it's wonderful. And you know what else? I, I, I love the way you have, you know, created it yourself. Wait until the song gets to a certain point. And by the way, that's Sophie Schran singing. Uh, Van Gogh, one of the songs I wrote a long time. And it always amazes our guests because I think our guests are sitting there going, okay, so, um, right. uh, okay, so like, um, uh, okay, so. Can I talk? Should I say something? Should I say, what, what, I what's happening? <laughs> love it, love it. And then, boom, you just break that whole suspense with, uh, yeah. with the introduction. How's the week been? It's, okay? uh, it's, yeah, it's been great. It's actually been great. Great week so far, so far. And then we got tomorrow. Tom, could you introduce our guest for tonight? Oh, absolutely. He is an associate professor of psychiatry and pediatrics at the University of Vermont Larner College of Medicine. He is also the medical director of the Child, Adolescent, and Family Division of the Vermont Department of Mental Health and has published over 100 journal articles, chapters, and scientific abstracts. Welcome, welcome, Dr. David Rattu. Yeah, nice to have you here, Dr. Rattu. We're so excited. Welcome. I'm excited to be here. Thank you, Dr. Joe. It is my pleasure. And and you've got a new book out there. Tell us about the new book. I'd be happy to. I, first, I think your listeners deserve some disclosure, which is that um, we actually know each other. And when I was training to be a psychiatrist, Dr. Joe was one of my faculty mentors. So uh, we go way back. It's true. Thank you for the disclosure. And we had fun back then. It was it was a great, and hopefully, hopefully you learned something and, and applying it and then just building from there, your own style. I, I did. I, I learned a lot. Um, but about the book, yeah, you know, one of the jokes I think a lot of us say in our field, and parents will say this too, is that there are no manuals on how to raise kids. And in a sense that that's true, uh, but in a sense, it's completely untrue. We are in some ways bombarded by instruction manuals all the time. I mean, you just look on the internet and books and articles. The, the problem is they often say different things. Sometimes they'll say exactly the opposite thing, right? If you know your little five-year-old throws a toy at his sister, you know, one person says, well, give them a timeout. One other person says, no, give them a time in. Another one says, no, put the toy in timeout. Another one says, go get a glass of wine and let them figure this out themselves, <laughs> right? So for the, the parent who's, you know, you can get confused trying to figure out what to do. And so what I, what I wanted to do with this book is in a non-technical, non-judgmental way, um, summarize what the science really says about the kinds of things that parents are wondering about all the time, sleep training, screens, discipline, fussy eating, and 
when the answer is it depends, and often it is it depends, I, I wanted to talk about kind of a one size does not fit all model of parenting and not assume that the quote correct answer is the same for all kids because every parent will tell you that kids are different. But for some reason, most parenting advice doesn't really tackle that head on and it, they give advice as though everyone's the same and we should apply advice universally. And the science doesn't suggest that that's always the way to go. And I wanted to try to outline that in the book. I think that's such a wonderful approach. You're right. If, if there was one way to parent, there would be one book. And there are bookshelves and bookshelves and bookshelves of books. Absolutely. So I mean, every, every parent, I mean, you can try one method and it is an incredible success with one kid. And you think you can do exactly the same thing. And it's a spectacular failure for the second. And right. I think everyone has that experience. It is so true. With, with the four kids that, that Carol and I have, each one required a different approach. Um, you know, one of the things I like to say is for a parent, it is much more rewarding to be amazed at who your child is than disappointed in who they are not, because they will amaze you. Just look. Just look. Especially if you're not trying to push them into some box and, and kind of let them unfold in the way that uh, they want to go. They still need your guidance, uh, but they're the one generating the momentum. Agreed. And, and so the title of the book reflects this. Yeah, and that book, the title of the book was somewhat controversial. I had more than one person tell me that uh, from a marketing standpoint, uh, the title Parenting Made Complicated is not going to be uh, a, a great seller. And I, I can see that. I, I actually think the book makes things less complicated uh, rather than more. And I really do try to offer quite a bit of practical everyday advice uh, that can help guide parents. But I wanted maybe a better title would have been parenting is complicated rather than made complicated. But that's what we got. And we'll we'll see how it goes. I think it's I think it's a great title because I, I think it will resonate with a lot of people. Look, if if you pick up a book saying parenting made simple, you're going to feel not good because whoa it is not simple so i think the i think the title is perfect good i'm glad you like it i've been i hope i hope people up do yeah now, go ahead mark who makes it complicated i think life makes it complicated right i mean there are so many moving parts when it comes to parenting there is the kid's personality there's your personality there's your partner's personality if you have one there's, you know, all the circumstances behind your life. There's all the events that happen. And, you know, it, there are so many different moving parts. It makes it hard to sort of say, yeah, just do this with everyone and it'll work out fine. So what inspired you to write the book? Well, this is an interesting story. Um, I was at our institution. I'm not sure if you're still there, Dr. Joe, but... Uh, uh, I was at a, uh, a, you know, getting training from a, an incredible place, really a world-class psychiatric education. And I had been taught about everything from uh, different types of psychotherapies to Oedipus complexes, to neuroscience, to, you know, you name it. And I was working uh, in psychotherapy with a little boy and I was talking to the mom and we were trying to understand why he was struggling a little bit. And mom just very legitimately and sort of casually said, you know, 
my husband and I are just not getting a lot of sleep right now because we have another child at home and, you know, she doesn't sleep well. And oh, by the way, a friend told me that I should ferberize my kid. But then somebody said that that may not be a good idea. What do you think, doctor? You know, what do we know about that? And I just was, you know, I was going through all the lectures that I had and thinking, you know, we never covered this. Um, I didn't know what, what to say to this, this parent. And I first thought, well, maybe there's no science behind it. Maybe this is all just kind of made up or maybe there's science and I just don't know about it. And so this inspired me to sort of look into these parenting debates and controversies. And sad to say, now that that kid has probably graduated college, I could probably give this parent a good answer. <laughs> so, this is fascinating. Yeah. So, so Mark, it resonates with you. How many kids have you raised now? I have 16 children. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I have three relatively well-adjusted children. Um, we love them dearly. And uh, we think we've done a pretty good job. But I think a lot of uh, our strategy was not to follow the herd. The herd definitely uh, dictates what you should be doing and there's a lot of judgment in the uh pre-k kindergarten uh arena of parents and it's uh it's really an interesting experiment to sit back and watch how they interact with one another when it comes to the judgment of who's a good parent and the insecurity of the parents didn't know so that was huh? so dr to what what about that i mean does does the book i mean the ultimate goal of the book i assume is to empower parents so that they feel that they're doing something with their kids that's productive yeah i mean i agree with mark's point i think in some ways parenting has become a competitive sport mm. and there there is a lot of judgment and you know un unfortunately the magnitude of someone's opinions doesn't always match up with the depth of their knowledge. And so, you know, people can read book A and they're, you know, absolutely certain that they're supposed to do that. And then they read book B and they're told they should do something exactly the opposite. And, um, you know, and, and we live in a world of sound bites too. Uh, so people want sort of the answer and they want it quick and, and they want to be able to summarize it in 10 seconds. And, I think one of the main points of that book is when, you know, when we're talking about things like parenting, when we're talking about things like a developing human brain, uh, it just doesn't always work out that way. And you have to spend a little more time and be a little more flexible than kind of these, these rigid rules. So, you know, one of, one of the things that we thought about, there, there are so many books about parenting. What sets your book apart from the others? Well, I don't want to knock all the parenting books. Some are really excellent, but a lot mm -hmm. of them are really written like a legal argument. You know, it starts from the place of there's something wrong with kids these days. Uh -huh. I've got the answer. Um, I'm going to tell you the answer because it kind of worked out for my kids. And I'm going to sort of lead the reader to some foregone conclusion. Um, and I'm going to convert you to my way of thinking. And you know, that may work, you know, in terms of our sort of legal world, but I'm not sure that works the best in our parenting world. And so what I try to do instead is really lay out the case, you know, and, and, and 
give people options and try, and I know I can't be completely objective, but as, a, as objective as I can, try to state the case, try to summarize uh, the, the data in a non-jargony way, and then assume that our parents are capable adults who want good information and are capable of making good decisions. Um, and, and plus they are, as you know, we talked before the show a little bit, Dr. Joe, they are the experts for their kids and so it's better that they should use their judgment based on their expert knowledge rather than apply dogmatically, you know, somebody on the internet who thinks this certain thing because it worked out fine for their own kid. And I think that that's such an important thing for parents to hear that, that they're the expert. People like us, Dr. Ratu and I, you know, we're just the professionals. But the most important person is the kid. And, and, as you follow the lead of your kid, I think you'll, you'll, you'll bring out these other things. I mean, because what are the basic things that we want our children to do? We want them to, to feel valuable, to be able to value other people, to be respectful, to recognize who they are, but not necessarily have to compete with everybody around them. Not an easy task these days. No, it isn't. And, and, there is a lot of judgment. I mean, if there are people who feel like, well, you're what you left your, your eight year old alone in a house or let them walk to school, you know, how, how could you be so neglectful or, um, you know, and so there, there is a lot. And sometimes there's actually sort of legal consequences to some of these things too. So it's out there. And, and, you know, I want to try to empower parents with this book to, um, to challenge them to, to, understand the science, to use the science, not that that should be the only basis on which you make a parenting decision, but I feel like it should be, it should be at the table. Uh, but then to sort of be your own little scientist with your own child and to say, you know, I'm gonna try an approach based on what I know and what the science says. I'm really gonna take a look to see whether this works. Uh, I'm gonna be willing to be flexible if it's not working and I might need to make some tweaks or adjustments. Uh, because in a lot of these areas, the science is not hugely definitive. You know, in some places it is, but, you know, I'll give you an example, picky eating, which is a problem, you know, a lot of parents struggle with. Again, there's all of these theories out there. You should, you know, get old school on the kid and make them sit there at the table for an hour, make them eat their potatoes. You should cut up the sandwiches in cute little shapes so they'll like it. You should, like, be like a Russian spy, sneak some vegetables in their smoothie. You should make them, you know, prepare that, you know, there's a million different things out there. Um, and, you know, there, a lot of them are worth trying. I'm not saying don't try them, um, but there actually isn't great evidence that you've got to do something. And that one solution sort of universally applies to everyone. Um, some kids, you know, you don't want to be using a lot of bribes and threats. Uh, but for some kids, I mean, you know, and some kids, especially on, who have maybe on the autistic spectrum disorder, you know, you, you're gonna you're gonna need some encouragement. You're gonna need some incentives sometimes. Those some of those kids have, you know, very small food repertoires, and, and to the point where sometimes that can cause some medical complications. Mm. Well, what is your your take on? the sort of evolutionary significance of picky eating. I mean, why would that still be preserved in, in, our, in our species? Well, 
I, people have tried to guess and probably nobody knows. I think uh, maybe some of it came from a time when you know, we were foraging around and there were a lot of really dangerous things to eat. And so for a child to not just pick some shiny berry off a bush, mm -hmm. uh, that probably was a good thing. And so for kids to show some skepticism for new foods, that may have had some evolutionary um, advantage at some point. And now, you know, everything comes in plastic. And, right. and so maybe that, maybe it's lost some of that. Yeah. But, but again, I, I think to, to just think that if your kid is doing something that it's wrong is, I think, missing the point. Well, so what, 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 what are some of the themes in the book? Well, uh, one of them uh, I think that we touched on is, um, is about the idea of flexibility. And, about, and, and another one is really about the, the importance of understanding and using your child's temperament in your parenting decisions. So one of the chapters of the book is all about temperament. That's how I actually got started in my career. I was a temperament and personality researcher. And um, I think that, that lineage sort of gets into this book. Um, so I try to uh, equip parents uh, using some basic tools to be able to sort of come up with what their child's personality is and their, and their own, right? Because actually for things to work, I think it's good to understand both. Uh, there's, a, there's a concept that I'm sure you remember, Dr. Joe, about the goodness of fit, mm -hmm. right? And so that, that a, a person's personality traits or a kid's temperament traits aren't good or bad in and of themselves, but they work or don't work compared to how they fit with the characteristics of the world around them. And can you, and, can you just tell people what temperament really is? Because I think people hear the word and I, I don't think everybody sure. really knows what it is. Yeah, that's good. It, that's good. Um, so I, I often consider temperament as sort of the building blocks of your personality. So these hmm. are the very core traits in, that you can see in a child, they tend to show up pretty early, like in infancy. Um, they tend to have some genetic influence, but not certainly not genetic destiny. And they have some stability over time. So um, one trait might be something that people call extroversion. So there are kids who love novelty. They love stimulation. They want people around them. They want activity around them. They're motorically active. And there are kids who prefer lower stimul stimulus uh, activities, um, are happier to spend more time on their own. And that's a trait that we, is, is somewhat enduring um, and, and maps onto adults. So those are the kind of traits that we talk about. And when you combine them with other traits, you can get these temperament types that I talk about in the book. So one type might be a, an anxious temperament type. So these are kids who are prone to experience uh, they might be a little bit more prone to experience things like anxiety and fear, and they may be a little bit less uh, on the extroverted side. So they have that combination of traits. And that's a good thing to know. And it's a good thing to know about yourself too, because if you have an anxious kid and you're somewhat anxious yourself, which is a combination that happens pretty frequently in part because of genetics, that's a good thing to know because in, in many ways that combination can work out fine, but it may uh, 
make a parent be a little bit more likely to overprotect a child. And in some ways that can sometimes make anxiety worse because you're, you know, you're teaching a, a kid that the world is a scary place and you may need to make some steps to sort of move in the other direction. So the temperament of the child then will influence the approach you take with that child with, let's say, let's say the, the picky eater or, you know, any, any number of other characteristics. So can you give maybe an example of, of that? Yeah. So let's talk about screen. So that's another area where parents are really, you know, struggling with, especially now with the pandemic and people don't know, you know, well, I can't take send my kid to school. I can't play with like, what else are they supposed to be doing these days? Uh, so screens, I think, is, is an interesting example. And it's very easy to be, you know, put in one camp, either, you know, sc screens are the root of all evil in this world, or they're, you know, you've got, you, it's time to get with the program because screens are everywhere. So just, you know, give in and let them do what they want. Um, but, you know, screens have some uh, very positive aspects to them. And I, I think the research shows that they have some potential hazards and some negative, but those hazards can be different for different kids. So for, you know, kids who tend to be a little bit more aggressive, you know, you may need to, to worry a little bit more about more aggressive content in the screens because they may decide that they're going to reenact those with their sister or that it may desensitize them to things that they should not be so desensitized to. For a more anxious kid, the, the concern may not be so much that they're going to be more aggressive, but that you're going to traumatize them by exposing them to different content. So, you know, you've got a little kid and they watch a scene from Jaws, not to date myself, you know, they may not want to take a bath for a month. And so, you, you know, you're, you're thinking about other, for another kid who may be what we call more kind of mellow, happy-go-lucky, you know, the problem is that they like screens so much, they just don't want to do anything else, right? So they're just too content to just sit on the couch all day. And the problem is, you know, they're not doing things that probably would build a healthy brain in a better way. So if you can be aware of the temperament of your kid, then it can help sort of steer, you know, what kind of limits you set and, and you know, what kind of things you need to be concerned about. And I'm going to assume that parenting isn't confined to just a few years of one's child's life. So how do we adapt as our kid gets older? Do, do we change our parenting style? Yeah, I think we do. Um, you know, I think, you know, we're always taught to be as child psychiatrists to think about the developmental perspective. And mm -hmm. I think parents uh, need to do that too. Um, kids change their, their temperament and their personality can change. And we have different roles, their brains are doing different things. So uh, yeah, this book focuses more on on young kids, but hey, maybe that should be the next book focusing mm. on guidance for the older ones. There we go, you know, and actually leads into, this is a, a diversion in some ways, but one of my, um, one of my colleagues uh, knew we were gonna be doing this show and, and asked, what do you think about adults who don't have children of their own? This is, this is a, a stretch here, but are now in charge of taking care of their parents who, are basically adult children. I mean, how, 
where do we go with that? Because parenting our parents, maybe for the next three books down the yeah, road. Yeah, that's probably the third book guy down the line. But I, yeah. but I do know a lot of people are in that situation where they're um, trying to help take care of their children, but uh, their parents. And obviously, there are a lot of challenges uh, for that. It's hard for me to think of sort of some blanket statement that would help right. uh, well, cover that. But they may, they may. Need. I mean, one, one of the things that, that I, I don't know whether you're experiencing this as well, but all my kids are now grown up, as they, they say. And for me, when they're over here, um, I, I still can't help treating them sometimes as my little kids. And, you know, at least to this, this wonderful new oxymoron that we have, you know, adult children, you know, these are my adult children. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to read the book you're going to write on that one. Um, but do you have that experience as well? That, that, that here you are as, as a, an adult and, you know, maybe you're a grandparent and you've got your kids who are now raising their kids. And where do we go with that? Yeah, I think it can be a really interesting exercise to sort of think about where our parenting style sort of comes from. Um, and, and for a lot of people, it's a lot of different sources. For many of us, it's how we were parented, right? That's our template. That's our model. For some people, they parent in exactly opposite of the way because they're, they want, I'm not going to put my kids through what I went through. So they're mm -hmm. deliberately sort of going in a different direction. Uh, certainly somebody's culture, religious background, that's going to shape things. Um, your own personality is going to shape things. I think based on your own personality, certain parenting styles are going to become more appealing to you. And that can be both a good thing, but can have its hazards. And then maybe somewhere down the road, you know, there's the piece of science fitting in too. But it, I, I, I sometimes when I'm working with families um, and talking about parenting, I ask that question and, and uh, you know, parents, they enjoy thinking about that. And it's not something they've often thought of because parenting seems more natural and reflexive. And it's just something that they do without really sort of thinking about it a whole lot. Mark, what do you think? Have you been, is your parenting style influenced by your parents? You know, it's a great question. I was thinking about that as, as uh, he, he was saying that. And <clears throat> I'm, I'm sure to a certain extent it is. I, I'm definitely not in the camp of I'm doing the opposite of my parents because they, they, you know, tortured me and, and, uh, and I don't want to do that to my kids, but times change too. Right. So, you know, you have to, you have to change with the times, like things that were appropriate in the seventies may not be appropriate in the early two thousands. And, um, and I, I do believe that there's a much bigger fishbowl effect, uh, for current parents than there were in the seventies and the eighties when it was more free range. And we tried very, very diligently to create a free range environment for our kids and to try to, you know, open the gates and, and not fall prey to the herd. And oh, how could you, and, you know, um, watching those parents, you know, feel good about themselves, um, you know, to your detriment. Um, but to answer the question, I don't really know where my style came from other than instinct and trying to remember 
what it was like to be that age. Obviously, the infant stages, you know, Julie really owned that um, and 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 really had that down. But once we could get to an age where I could really start to remember what I was thinking at those stages is where I tried to come to the the child with. And then and then you have to you have to you have to look at their own personality because again, three boys completely different all three of them are completely different from one another and we had to approach it in very different ways it's amazing how different kids can be um, from the same family you know and i'd also add that sometimes science changes right Mm -hmm. so you know back when i was uh you know learning uh from folks like you dr joe we were taught terms like gender constancy remember that one that you know by age three a child you know, it's, they know, you know, for the rest of their life, they're a boy or a girl. Well, that's been challenged a little bit in the last few years. And, you know, you've got to kind of roll with that. And we have a, there's a chapter on, on sort of gender development too, in the more modern age. So again, that's what I meant by sort of a lot of moving parts to take into account. So, so, so what is the science saying about that, about the gender development? It is changing. Right. So, I mean, I think that there are some, you know, really strong challenges to the idea that, uh, you know, the, that the gender, uh, either expression or identity is this really binary concept uh, and that kids have it all sort of wrapped up by the age of three. Um, you know, we know that, that some have very, some kids have very strong uh, feelings that, you know, their, their gender identity is opposite of what they were assigned. Some consider to say that I think that they're somewhere in between and it can move across development. And I think, you know, I think the point of my chapter uh, there is to really, um, to really follow your kids lead on this. And, and again, we, we have you know, parents do very different things. We have parents that will set forest fires by having gender reveal parties um, and, you know, yeah. do these extravagant you know, princess nurseries. And we have parents that raise, you know, if you heard the term babies who are, you know, making extraordinary efforts to um, not reveal anything about uh, sex or gender, um, even to the child, you know, themselves, right? So we have, you know, this huge array and I, I feel like we need to take signals from from uh, our child and and follow their lead. I think there's been some strong evidence that for those kids who uh, have a, a non-binary gender identity or, or trans identity, if you know if they're told pretty early on that that that's wrong and you know that you know, they need to change that, I think we're seeing that that can really have some negative consequences down the road. In the book, you. You divide it into three wonderful parts, you know, that's the the overview and then infancy and toddlers and preschool. But in in general, if if you could sort of just encapsulate what what are the messages in each of those parts? Is that fair to ask? I mean, I know it's a huge book, but what's the main message you think in the first part? Well, I think in the first part, uh, for infancy, um, I think one of the message is that we're making parenting decisions very early on, 
we may not be aware of them, but just like I was talking about, just like the, the you know decisions about how you decorate the nursery is a parenting decision. And not that mm -hmm. I want you know parents to be like agonizing over each little decision because it's going to have some huge consequence down the road. I'm, I'm not saying that, but these are decisions, and they they're worth being thought through. And you know they they can have um, you know some effects down the road. And so, and then sleep training. You know, that may be one of the first parenting decisions that somebody may, in some ways, you know, the decision whether to do some kind of sleep training is sort of the first decision that a parent decides to make or not to change behavior. Um, and then I think uh, as we get into older, you know, with, with the toddlers and the preschoolers, then I think we're really starting to see the, a, a, a child's temperament start to take shape. And so now, you know, there's this huge other factor that's really starting to come online, and you're having you're you're seeing this emerging person with these traits, and so now you know the game changes a little bit more, and then there's these these traits that you have to, you know, cultivate, work with, you know, depending on you know what they are and what your own traits are. I sometimes you know we'll talk to families about how you can sort of sum up all of our interventions as being in one of two categories. There are things that you try to change the kid to fit the environment and trying to change the environment to fit the kid. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's often a lot, of, some combination of those two things. Right. And of course, you know, from an, from an IM point of view, remember the IM, we're doing the best we can influenced by the four domains of our home, social, biological, and I see how I see myself, how I think other people see me. And that is exactly what it is, is, is recognizing your kids doing the best they can, but you change the environment a little bit, you are going to change their I am. You're going to change the way they respond. I, your, your, your story made me think of Sophie, the firstborn, when we were potty training her and how, you know, we had her potty in a certain place and she was doing it and, and going and, and she was so proud. And then one day she runs over to the potty and she sits down, she waits, gets up, looks in the potty and turns to us both with this dismay and say, she said, where fart go? <laughs> and, and regressed for like weeks. She, she was back in a diaper for weeks because this just did not fit her scientific concept of what should have happened. Um, so what about that? We talk about that when sometimes kids go backwards a little bit. Yeah, I sometimes uh, use the analogy that, uh, you know, we're in March now. So I sometimes talk about change being like the temperature in March so that it's not sort of this linear, you know, gets a degree warmer every day. You know, we have these warm spells and we have these cold spells and there's this overall trajectory. If you look over the long term, there is this movement in a particular direction, but it is not, you know, as the crow flies, as they say. Yeah, that, it's an interesting story. And, you know, as a writer, and you're a writer too, Dr. Joe, so you, you know this, I mean, writers get rejected and writers get criticized and that's part of the business. And if you're not up to getting criticized and rejected, it's tough, it's tough to, to be a writer. So I was expecting that. And, um, and like a lot of authors, um, you know, you're, you're looking for publishers and, you know, sometimes you're getting your, your book proposal reviewed 
And what I was hearing, I mean, I certainly would hear some criticism, you know, directly about the book, but what I started to hear frequently was actually not criticism directed as much at, at me as the writer, but as but at the reader. And so what I was hearing is, you know, yes, this this looks well written, and I think there's some interesting information here, but parents aren't really interested in a book like this. They 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 don't want options. They want they want to be told this is the right answer and here's the recipe to get to the right answer. And they want to be told quickly. They don't want to be told it depends and they don't want to have to think through things. And you know, I I heard this and I I didn't want to you know, I still don't want to believe it. I think it sells parents short. And I think it may be a product of, you know, if that's the diet we've been given everybody for a while, then that's what they're going to get used to. But I, I'm really kind of hoping that um, that we're going to prove, you know, those folks wrong. And we're going to demonstrate that, uh, you know, parents don't want to be necessarily led, that they want to be presented with options. They want to be presented with good, reliable information. And they want to be treated as uh, competent adults who can can make the right decision for their their child. So it was an interesting and somewhat unexpected experience uh, as I was, you know, trying to find a home for this book. This isn't fascinating what what power uh, these editors and publishers have. I, you know, I, to that regard, I just want to read one of the many comments on Amazon about your book. And I think it's it's so... It's so wonderful. He says, um, Dr. Tu lays out a different approach. He rightfully argues, depends on the specific temperament and circumstance of your child, but instead of guilting you into following one path, he lays out what all the research says, not just cherry pick studies, and helps you distill how this research applies to different types of kids. I think that that is such a wonderfully concise comment, and bravo to that. Because yeah, if, if we wanna have empowered kids, we need empowered parents to model it, right? I mean, am I missing something here? I know, I agree totally. And I was really, I was really happy to read that because that, that's, that's, that's what my intention was. And, uh, and, and I'm glad that, that that resonated. Yeah, it is. Parents out there, never forget you are the expert in your kid. But if you want to know what some of the science is and maybe find some explanation as to why your child is doing what they're doing, that's important. But then it's what you do to respond to that that will be powerful. Remember, you control no one. You influence everyone. You get to choose the influence you want to be. And the ultimate goal, from, from my point of view as a parent, I have four kids and I'm, you know, as competitive as any other parent could be. And I will tell you all about my kids and how wonderful they are. But each one of them was raised differently. Each one of them was raised to respect each other's difference. And they get along so well, you know, they just love each other. They love and, and, and are, are just embrace each other's success and every time one kid feels successful the other kid feels successful i mean that's really so cool we just want our kids to feel valuable 
It's what resiliency is all about. The resilient child has had someone who believes that they're valuable. We can yeah, do that. I, Go ahead. I, I, I want to add, I, I say in the book, I'm very uncomfortable being seen as a parenting expert. And in some ways, I feel like I've said many times, I've made every mistake in the book uh, as a parent. I'm not coming from a, from a point of accomplishment, but sometimes as a point of struggling like anybody else. I think being a child psychiatrist doesn't make you immune to parenting mistakes. It just makes you more aware of them. <laughs> Absolutely. Wonderfully said. So true. And, and my, my dad was a pediatrician, and, and he said he made every mistake there was to make, but only once. You know, we're going to make all these mistakes. You know, we, we have a few minutes left. The I am saying because the four domains interconnect, right? The home, the social, biological, and the IC, small changes can have big effects. Dr. Ritu, what small change can you recommend to our listeners? Well, one thing that came to mind, uh, I, I give somewhat maybe some strange parenting advice in the book, which is that there may be places where you need to parent unnaturally, where you actually need to take a step that goes against your own sort of temperamental grain. And, uh, and, and not that we shouldn't parent instinctively, but if I were to talk about one small change, I might say, you know, be aware of maybe where your parenting is just coming too easily according to your personality and where you may need to take a step in the opposite direction and, and a small step and then see where that leads because it may be that in some cases that's uh, what's going to be most helpful to your child. Hmm. Interesting idea. That may be difficult for parents to do. Well, again, I'm not talking about, you know, Herculean huge changes, and, and I wouldn't want people to try to parent completely unnaturally. But what I mean is, for example, if you're the type of parent who's very good at setting limits, you tend to be serious and you tend to be, you know, very good at that aspect of parenting, that's terrific. But maybe you need to take a step to be a little more playful, a little warm, and that doesn't come easily to you, but that actually may be something that you're your child needs. And so that, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about transformations. I'm talking about little steps. And then the second truth of the I am, because everyone's interested in what you think about them and you're part of someone's home and social domain, and you know the way you treat someone has an effect on their biological domain, the way they think you see you. You control no one, but you influence everyone. And you get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Dr. Ritu. What kind of influence are you hoping to be? Yeah, it's a great question. And I'm, I probably won't surprise anybody. You know, I don't, I don't want to be influencing people on, on what to think at all. I mean, I think that's one of the central points of this book. I would like to help influence on how to think. And mm. uh, I think maybe that, that's where I'd like to make my mark, is not sort of say, this is what you have to believe, but here's, here's a strategy that might help you get to the right strategies and solutions for your kid. Terrific. How do I get the book? It's not hard to find. I think you can go to any of the online uh, outlets and find it. Um, in terms of a physical copy at a bookstore, it, it may be a little bit more hit or miss, uh, but it, it, I think it's in some, but it's not hard to find. And you also have a blog on psychology today. So can people just read some of the stuff there too? What are you Absolutely. writing on there? I've been blogging for many years there on all kinds of mental health related topics. So uh, would love to have people check that out. 
Yeah, pl please do. And, and write comments on that. And if you're buying the book through Amazon, please leave a comment on the Amazon page. It, it really helps an author. Dr. Two has been wonderful having you. It's great seeing you again. And I'm so honored uh, as an old teacher of yours to see where your career has led. I am truly honored. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was terrific. And I appreciate all of you for uh, contributing. It's been Thank great. You. Guys, we'll see you all next week on the Dr. Joe Show. Next week.